The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This week on Dueling Review, it's Masters of the Universe Revelation Number 1 from Dark Horse Comics. Following a vicious Orlax attack on his father, King Randor, He-Man learns the creature is linked to the origin of the Sword of Power. To save Randor and put an end to the chaos, He-Man embarks on an epic journey that pits him against his longtime foes Skeletor and Evil Lynn, and sees Tila take the reins of a powerful legacy. Well, I guess we might as well. Uh, I guess we might as well get started with this show. Hello, hi everyone. It's me, Steven Schleicher. Over there's Matthew Peterson. And I have the power of interrupting everyone as they're t- talking because I was just going to say, and I wanted to say welcome <laughs> to all of the awesome people who are hanging out in our live chat today, who are listening to us record this show live. If you would like to hear us record this show live at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time, then you need to connect your Patreon account to your Discord account, and then you have access. I think you have to be at the um, uh, silver level or higher. But as soon as you do that, then you have access to a bunch of bonus channels. You can come in and you can uh, hang out with us. We're using stages on Discord now, so you can raise your hand and ask questions. We can make fun of Marshall Nesbitt until he should... Oh, wait, Marshall just showed up, so we better stop talking about him. Let's instead... Talk about the Hemans and the Masters of the Universe. Um, first, 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 first. Yeah, um, revelations, revelation, or you know, hesitations. Is it should this be called uh, revelations or hesitations? The first and strongest way to make me not trust your story is to name it revelations, or you know. Ruminations. It's just, boy, I, I I can't think of anything that has had revelations that's been good. The Matrix, well, I mean, that's the name. That's the name of the uh, the animated series that's coming up on Netflix. Yeah, no revelation has ever been good. Ever. Well, so uh, you don't like that? You didn't like this book? I didn't hate it. I mean, it's interesting, but you know, when you when you really break it down. It's a very familiar story. You know, I can think of at least two Star Trek episodes and one Star Trek animated episode that basically do this. And while that's, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, hey, classic plot. You go back in time, you you fix the thing, but it turns out in fixing the thing, you kind of make the thing happen. You know, it's the standard bootstrap paradox, but it doesn't really establish much it doesn't feel so much like a revelation because we are just kind of thrown into this i mean i know who these characters are we i mean we just read a masters of the universe book about three or four months ago and i saw the cartoon in the original issues but this feel this does not feel like a number one first of all and i don't see anything that feels necessarily like a revelation well yeah, so the whole point of this is this is the prequel to the Netflix series. The Netflix series is not a reboot. It is a continuation of a the launch. He-Man series. So of the of the series from the 80s. 
So for that reason, yeah, I don't think they need to start over anything at the beginning. Uh, I think we do at least in the first issue and as the series will progress, hopefully before the, um, before the animated series hits, uh, that we will get some big thing. What, you know, what is Skeletor and evil in doing? Why, why are they working with this Orlax? What is this prophecy that the Orlax is, is hiding that Skeletor absolutely needs? And when will he man and Tila and Manny arms and, uh, <laughs> ocular man, when will they all get, uh, on board and figure out what's going on at which point then you watch it on the Netflix, uh, animated series which i'm totally fine with and i know it's enough man about the ad arms by the way you're thinking of many faces no no i'm thinking of of manny arms and uh triple face twirly dude those are those are their official canon names that we manny mo and jack so here's here's the thing that so i don't i don't have i guess i don't have the problems that you do as far as um kind of being dumped into the middle of the story because if you've mm-hmm. watched he-man in the 80s you kind of know everything that's going on and there was a little thing at the beginning that says you know, Skeletor hasn't been seen for years and King, uh, Roland is sitting around, uh, admiring his, his fiefdom, uh, when he is struck down. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine with getting into all that. What I have, and yes, I am trolling you right now, uh, dear listener who is screaming at your podcast player. Look at everybody it's on the bus and looking at you going, why is that man screaming at his mobile device? Anyway. Here's the problem. Here are the problems that I have from uh, the writing perspective. Kevin Smith, I love him, but he is verbose. Um, Rob David and Tim Sheridan are also working on this as well. So I don't know if, uh, you know, Kevin Smith is the executive producer showrunner of the animated series. So that may be why his name is on here. And I'm sure he came up with the general plot. That's the same thing that happens over on uh, other Dark Horse properties like uh, Hellboy, where Chris Roberson uh, will uh, write stuff based on an outline or story idea by Mike Mignola, which may be happening here. I don't know. But the the text in this book is very dense, which is fine, especially if you're trying to bring back the the feeling of the, you know, the 70s and 80s comic books that some, can sometimes have blocks of text that you kind of get tired of reading. The problem that I have with the actual content of the text is that it feels like the writers are trying to channel Conan and they do a bad job of channeling the Conan vibe of, (laughs) uh, you know, Oh King, here are the tales of Conan. And I think they're trying to do that with He-Man, but it kind of feels, I don't know how best to describe it, but it just feels like somebody is trying to do an imitation of Robert E. Howard's writing and they just don't, they haven't tapped into it as well as other Conan writers may have. So that's the weird thing that I got from the writing of this is it's, Mm -hmm. it's very stiff in times and then it becomes very verbose and long winded at times. Yeah. I'm not sure where that comes from that, you know, that's a complaint that I have about Sheridan's writing on uh, teen Titans Academy right now. So really, yeah, I'm wondering if it's a Sheridan thing or if it's a, you know, a, Kevin Smith thing or what, but yeah, you're right about this is very, very word heavy. There's a lot going on and the Snorlax, whatever the Snorlax is just sort of shows up and attacks and okay. Drawn to the power of the sword, the power of gray skull. 
Yeah, so we get a little time travel stuff. I mean, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see Castle we get to Grayskull. see a previous He-Man in his his uh, resplendent in his feathered battle trunks. Yeah, we get to see the previous uh, Grayskull castle back in the day when it was uh, nice before they hid it away and made it look like a monster face. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. This story is. I think it's engaging. I think it's interesting when we get to see, you know, the snake men attack and do those kinds of things. But I, I don't want to say I like my He-Man in a lot of action and it feels like all he does is stand around in this issue. But a large part of this issue is He-Man just standing around doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that I find that super fascinating. Um, I do kind of agree with you. This, the, the plotting on this feels very weird because the, the whole thing with Randor being thrown into a coma just sort of happens. You know, we have a, a couple of panels of, I am Prince Randor, hoop de doop de doo and then boom, he's in a coma, and then we have to travel through time. Is this a four or five issue limited? I don't know. Um, okay. I, I know it's not a one-shot. I know it's a miniseries. My guess is it's yeah. probably, since this show drops very soon, uh, I'm going to imagine that this is probably a four issue. Yeah, I would say that, I don't know, Uh, there are a lot of books that I say this about, and I feel like sometimes a broken record, but when you read a comic book that feels like somebody plotted out a 200-page trade and then just chopped it Mm -hmm. into four or five individual pieces, there is a feeling of incompleteness in most, if not every chapter, and I feel like this may be a situation where that has happened. You know, the, the book isn't really broken down in a, in a way that makes sense. And we we have this moment of, oh, we're going to go look and we have this creature, but what are we going to do? We don't know. Maybe it's being controlled by somebody. Dun, dun, dun. And of course, you get your moment of Skeletor because you, you have to have your moment of Skeletor. Yeah. And who was, and the, that, who was the one that Skeletor got um, his training from? Because he shows up in here. Um, what's, what's that other guy's name, uh, that has kind of a skeleton head, uh, um, Dr. Skeleton. No, I'll think of it here in a minute, but anyway, um, professor skeleton. Head? No, it's not professor skeleton head. So Tim Sheridan is the one who wrote the King script hissed. based on the, uh, story by Rob, David and Kevin Smith. So okay. that's where it is. Uh, I just think that there's a I just, yeah. I, so I have a, just a problem in, in the failure to ape a Conan type story. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's where it feels weird to me. The, the story itself, I don't have a problem with. I think the story is, is interesting enough. I think it reveals details that at the moment I really don't care about. And maybe I will by the yes. time the miniseries is over. And um, by the time the animated series arrives, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff like when he travels into the past and we spend all this time with the king and his son and all this stuff. It's like, I don't really care about this. Bring in the Orlax, let him attack, let him get back oh. to the future and let's uh, let's get the king out of his out of his coma, etc. That's kind of where I am, too. And I feel like, you know, you you said that it does not matter if you're familiar with the He-Man stuff before the way this story begins. And I would argue that it does matter because this really does feel like it starts in mid sentence. It feels like a, you know, 
And that's how I save Christmas moment to me. And I just feel like there would have been a better way to set this all up to get Prince Adam in play, to get He-Man traveling through time and have, you know, Randor as the... Well, but again, when you, when you do have, muffin, but, I mean, what do you, how, how would you have started this story? Let me ask you that, because uh, maybe you have a be- better way to start this story or a different way to start this story. But keep in mind, if you've only got four or five issues to tell this story, you can't spend a whole issue saying, well, here's what happened between the last time, the last animated uh, episode you saw and this issue. We can't spend, you know, a whole issue telling you everything that happened between, you know, the well, last five years of that, stories. But- we don't even get a meanwhile at Castle Grayskull. We we literally open with an interior shot of Randor standing in his bedroom. We don't get so much as a last time on Critical Hit. There's nothing. It just boom and it starts. And I don't necessarily know of a better way to do it, but I can tell you that the way that it's done here does not work for me. And I feel yeah, like I think, yeah, maybe the way you, this but... issue is structured, and th- don't do that. No, no, no. I'm saying because I don't have that problem because, you know, why not just start it in the bedroom with him saying, ah, there's something that is keeping me awake and restless. I feel something is on the way. And then he gets attacked. Um, I know, feel like that falls under the header of, you know, when you when you are making comics anymore, it feels like whether you're doing big two capes and tights or whether you're doing an indie book, a lot of times things that that I would like to have some sort of establishing moment get swept under the rug. And instead, we're like, OK, we're going to do this start in media res. Then we're going to do the record scratch. and Then we're going to go. I suppose you're wondering how I got here. And I understand why it's happening. But I don't necessarily feel like it works here. Well, then and maybe, I feel like, maybe that what they would, maybe this is better. Maybe you start with a two page spread of him overlooking his kingdom and it's doing the Conan shtick. And then you mm-hmm. get to his wife going, my darling, why are you awake standing here in your pajamas? Uh, and then he can talk about how he feels something bad is coming. And she's like, well, don't stay up too late. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And then we cut to he man hearing the noise and, and being awoken and, and arriving in time to see the Orlax attacking the king. I think that would actually work better. And I think part of the reason that it didn't go this way is, you know, the fact that they wanted to do it as a big double page spread. Yeah. And the way comics are printed today, you can't do that. Yeah. yeah un- until you get to that even page number, but it, it feels awkward. It does. Here's, here's the other thing that, I, so from a story perspective, I, I know that they're probably, well, it's obvious that they are trying to attract an older audience, an audience that they're, probably they're playing to watched, fans yeah, that, that watched this stuff originally. I am missing a lot of the humor from He-Man, the animated series. I guess that's what we'd have to call it because there have been many other comic books that try to treat He-Man serious. But if this is supposed to be this seriously, guys, we're in continuity and this is all canon stuff from the animated series, I kind of want a little bit more humor than what I saw in here. Um, granted Cringer does not spend a lot of time as Cringer before he becomes battle cat. And the minute he becomes battle cat, he's all badass seriousness, but even Orko into the frame as battle cat. Yeah. We don't ever see Cringer in this issue. Yeah. Uh, then Orko, I think only has like one brief kind of quip that is half, you know, that is half joking, but everything mm-hmm. else is just plays this very straight up and serious. And maybe that's what, Maybe that's what people want in there. And let's just see a show of hands for everybody who's in the, uh, in the chat room. 
do you guys prefer your He-Man kind of serious or do you kind of want some of the silliness from the 1980s cartoon series? I, I'm very, I'm very curious about that. Now, granted, I don't need this whole issue to be, uh, wrapped up at the final page where He-Man and Orko are standing there going, sometimes when someone looks like they're a bad person, it just means that you need to communicate more. And from communication comes great friendship. The more, you know, wink, maybe I'm not looking for that kind of stuff. But I was looking for something that was definitely a little bit lighter than the story that was presented. Omega Lasser says he has no idea. I've never watched He-Man. Uh, Mark Smith 72 says, I prefer a good dose of comedy. Marshall Nesbitt says he wants full-on silly He-Man. Yeah. Tixura says, and- silly is good. It doesn't need to be Looney Tune silly. But give me a mix of some serious that isn't afraid to be silly and acknowledge that it's a goofy story. Um, uh, Olin says... Uh, not to, don't need it to be serious, but I don't want it to just be silly or try to be irrelevant. And that's, yeah, that's what I want. I want something. I want Cringer when we first see him in Prince Adam's bedroom to go, well, I don't know if I want to go. And then he man's like too bad uh, the power. And then we get to see, you know, Cringer run in as battle cat and is then is all serious. Like we got to take care of this now. And I want right. to, you know, I want to see something Orko related to where it doesn't feel like he's being grimdark Orko in this. <laughs> Yeah, it feels like Orko is being, you know, sloughed off to the side as quickly as possible. Yeah. And by the way, uh, Orko is drawn in a horrifyingly realistic manner. Well, and that's what I'm saying, right? Because in in the, the cartoon eyes. series, oh, yeah, the in eyes. the cartoon series, Orko has these very cartoony eyes. But this one, it's like you can see the tear ducts and you can see. They're, the, yeah, they're big. They're giant human eyes in this black void. And I'm just like, no. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, it's no. it's kind of creepy. Which does bring me around to the art. Um, mm-hmm. I, you don't have to be on bottle for everything. And I think that this is the newer version look of the He-Man action figures and all the other He-Man action figures. Uh, it's a little bit more angular. I don't have necessarily a problem with the way that the characters are depicted or how they're drawn in this. Or I don't really have a problem with layouts. I don't have a problem with how the story is structured visually. What I have a problem with and what is just annoying the heck out of me the entire time mm-hmm. are the colors. Yeah, they are very, very I mean, 80s hyper color pink and blue and just huge bright pastels. And yeah, it, which when again, we see the old uh, skeleton guy, he is this glowing. I'm going to say green, but it is clearly yeah, it's a super bright color. Yeah, it's it's like a neon greenish color. Greenish, yeah, like I the, it was you know, either the that or of, gold. The, the Necron uh, yeah. green color that was introduced in the in the late uh, 90s. That horrific greeny green. And, you know, that's fine. I, I, I do agree with you, though. I feel like the coloring is way over the top. When He-Man steps back out of the time machine and we're like, how are we going to save him? Everything is glowing green for some reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't know what that's about, but it's this incredibly bright. Yeah. And that's one that I can tell you is green, but there's a sequence uh, where He-Man is fighting this giant pink creature mm-hmm. on a blue background. And then he cuts the creature in half and all of a sudden everything is orange and purple. Yeah. And I'm just like, what did the, did the lighting change? Yeah, it's it's very di- well. I I guess it's because he's saying, "Hey, um, uh, what's her name? The the sorceress is like, uh, oh, bring me back, sorceress." And so he's going through the time tunnel where everything is pink and blues. 
Uh, but it's just, it just really looks weird and it doesn't work right. And I just, I'm yeah. not a, I'm not a fan of any of the coloring in this book. It's also relatively flat coloring. So yes. you have very, there's very little shading. Occasionally you will see a character get some shadow contour, but for the most part, everything in this book is super flat, which again, if you're trying to mimic the style of the eighties television show, that also did not have a lot of shadow in it. Um, because a lot of it was just rotoscope with the slap of color on top of, of that. So I, you know, I, I really do have a problem with the coloring in this issue. It is not to my liking, but some other people might like it, uh, but it, but it's not, to, it's not to my liking. Looking at the available promo material and trailers, I kind of feel like they're going for something that kind of evokes animation, but in so doing, they, they it, it ends up flattening out mm-hmm. their art. It flattens out, you know, the, the overall image. And I feel like they tried to do this to go, hey, how can we make this look like the animated series? Um, and I, I feel like the decision was was not the best. Yeah. So here's the thing. I didn't hate this book. I really didn't. Um, I think it's, I think it's worded a little weird and I think that it could be used another pass or two of, of editing, or maybe even just somebody saying, Hey, either go full on Robert E. Howard or don't, uh, in this. So I think it's, I think it's a fine book. I think for those of you that Again, I haven't seen anything that's coming out of the Netflix animated series yet. Maybe mm-hmm. when that comes out and maybe that will prompt people to say, okay, what really was going on before this? Why are He-Man and Skeletor now engaged in this massive battle? Give me some backstory with it. At which point you can say, well, here's a trade collection of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe revelation. And at that point, maybe it'll be worth going back and, and making this a must read. But right now I want to just say that this is you know, I, I guess if you're a He-Man completist, go and pick it up. But I think for the most part, this is a, is a really casual read. Like after you've read everything else, then maybe get to this, but this is not something that you need to put at the top of your, your reading pile. Yeah. I would say this is definitely skippable. This is a story that feels like when they get to the trade paperback, it might be worth checking out, but I, I mean, it's not bad. It's, you know, it's not terrible. I'm not telling you to avoid it like the plague or run away screaming. Yeah. It just, it, it doesn't really land for me on, on either the art or the story or the merging of art and story level. And, you know, I, I'm not the most casual masters of the universe fan in the, in the entire world in the, I almost said in the universe, but yeah. you can't do that. But uh, it, it didn't sing to me. What was that when we did the Masters of the Universe, uh, Masters of the Multiverse? Yeah, Masters of the Multiverse. I felt like, yeah, that was just that was kind of like the sweet spot of Goofy to me. The Crisis on Infinite He-Man's worked for me, whereas you know, this really does not, and that's fine. Yeah. but it's a big skip for me. Okay, well there you go, dear listeners. Um, that is our thoughts on He-Man and the Masters of the Universe Revelation Number One. Out now from Dark Horse Comics. How did we end up with this? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Stephen. Are you? Are you really? Yeah, I really am. What had happened was we have cultivated a network that we refer to as faithful spoilerites. And they are, to a man, woman, child, or non-binary person, evil. 
And so what they hid, what they did was they all went to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash major spoilers. They chose from a list of comics that they felt would most torture you and I. And so they I don't said, think they you know do that. I, I don't no, think they, they, they intend to torture us. I honestly think they sit there and they go, oh, man, I've seen a lot of stuff on He-Man and the Masters of the <laughs> Universe Revelation. There's a comic book coming up. Let's have them do this because it's probably going to be awesome. Or it could be awesome. And that's the thing, you know, whether it's genius or whether it's cheese sandwich, sometimes it's fun to check into books. I get that. I'm fine with that. But I also like to, you know, remind spoilerites that you shouldn't be cruel to us. But again, go to the Patreon, check on the book. If you vote and all your friends vote and you tell two friends and they tell two friends and so on and so on and so on. By next week, we could be reading a book like. Coming out next week from Boom Studios, we have Berserker number one getting its fifth printing. Eve number three arrives. Mighty Morphin number nine lands on the uh, doorstep. And Orcs number six, the final issue of the Orcs series. I believe that's pronounced Orcs. Dark Horse Comics next week has House of Lost Horizons number three, Mass Effect Outcasts puzzle, if you're into the Mass Effect Outcasts. Also, Rangers of the Divide number three, Norse Mythology two, number two, and True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys National Anthem Library Deluxe Hardcover, an $80 book there. Dynamite Entertainment next week has Barbarella number one, Dynamite Lives number two, Invincible Red Sonia number three, and Vampirilla versus Purgatory number five. Would you care to guess, Matthew, how many covers that one has? Uh, let's see. Vampirilla has 10 letters. Purgatory has nine letters. I'm going to say 10. Uh, no, there are going to be nine variant covers that you can get for that one next week from Dynamite oh, Entertainment. Oh, I chose unwisely. You oh. did. IDW Publishing has Canto 3, Lionhearted number one. That's the new Canto series. The other one just wrapped up, I want to say, like two weeks ago. G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, number 284. Also, we get Star Wars Phantom Menace, the graphic novel adaptation for nine bucks. And Transformers, number 32. I think a couple of people have already voted for TMNT ongoing number 119, so we'll have to see how that plays out. So you better hurry and cast your vote now. Image Turtle Comics Roy. next week has Die number 18. Only two issues left in that series. Man Eaters Cursed number one, Silver Coin number four, and Skybound X number two. I was really surprised that um, they didn't pick Skybound X number one uh, for us to yeah. review this week. This is um, it's a weekly series. It's an anthology stuff. Uh, I think the thing that I'm very interested in checking out in Skybound X number one is the uh, Rick Rick Grimes 2000, where it's basically right. what if Rick Grimes and it was the aliens controlling the zombies. And that story continues in, in this, as well as a bunch of other stuff. I think um, Science Dog um, shows up either in issue three or four. I can't remember. So I'd be on the lookout for that. Science Dog. Yeah. Marvel Comics next week has Aliens Aftermath number one, Champions number eight. Extreme Carnage Scream number one. Now, I know Matthew is looking forward to Extreme Carnage. Also, the uh, Sinister War number one of four arrives next week. Let's see. Spider-Man, Spider's Shadow number four, the penultimate issue there. Star Wars, Bounty Hunter, the War of the Bounty Hunters number two. Thor number 15 and X-Corp number three. Get into some of that hot boardroom action. Woo! X-Corp. Woo! In all the rest category, we have Beckstar number one, which is a second printing. The Sumerian Man Eaters of Zimbola, number one. I've actually liked, um, who was that that does that one? Um, uh, American um, something? Yeah, American Mythology. I can't remember if it's them Sounds or, right. or yeah. someone else. But yeah, I really have enjoyed their Conan 
adaptations that they have done. Uh, let's see. Is the Sumerian from Scout? I can't even. No, no, no. It's not Scout Comics. Grim okay. Fairy Tales hits issue 50 next week. John Carpenter's Storm Kids uh, Sacred Hearts trade paperback. That's a $24 book. Let's see. Uh, Lila the Accidental Witch graphic novel. Maker Comics. <laughs> Survive in the Outdoors. Ninjak number one. Nottingham number four gets a second printing. Robin Hood and Goldilocks one shot from Zenoscope. Robin Hood's forest. Ooh, lally, ooh, lally, golly, what a day. Space Pirate Captain Harlock number two. And also we get Zombie Tramp ongoing number 80. Over at wow. DC Comics next week, we have Action Comics number one. That's a $6 book. We have Batman and the Scooby Doo Mysteries issue number four. That's a $3 book. And we have Batman Urban Legends number five. That's an $8 book. But it does have 70 pages in it. So take that into account when you're bitching about the cost of comics. Uh, Detective <laughs> Comics one or sorry, 1039 arrives next week, as does the Flash 2021 annual number one. Infinite Frontier number two. Matthew really enjoyed Infinite Frontier this week. If you haven't um, read his review, go check it out over at Majorspoilers.com. Also, the Joker issue number five and Rorschach number 10 arrives. And finally, DC rounds out its releases next week with Wonder Woman 775. What are we going to review? Well, that is up to you. Point your browser right now to patreon.com slash major spoilers and look for the post dueling review for July 17th, or I'm sorry, July 14th, 2021. And then you cast your vote, but do it before uh, Saturday night ends because I tabulated up first thing Sunday mornings and I do get up early on my Sundays. And then you'll be back to find out what we're going to review next week. And maybe you will get to hear Matthew say, Number one, the large, the large. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.